John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Inan near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above all is above all. Sorry, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from above, from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Dear Father, we thank you for the revelation of your will unto our salvation through Jesus Christ. We pray that the word would be faithfully proclaimed in spirit and in power uh, at this time, that the word would sink into our hearts, be received by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, we have Jesus, we have John, and it's being written by John. There's two Johns. There's John the Baptist, and there's John the Apostle. And John the Baptist was preaching and baptizing before Jesus. John the Baptist was Uh, preparing the way for the Christ. And Jesus had come. And you remember what John the Baptist had said about him? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had baptized Jesus himself and witnessed that the Spirit had come upon him, that this was the Christ. But John continued his ministry. He would continue until he was put in prison, and even there he would continue his ministry until he was put to death. But even before he was put in prison, there was a time where both John and Jesus were teaching and baptizing. And uh, that is the case in this passage. Jesus and John were both making and baptizing disciples. You see that at the beginning of our passage in verses 20 through 22 through 24. At the end, oh, I didn't read the full passage. Let me go ahead and read the first three verses of chapter 4, because that helps give us more information about what was going on. In chapter 4, 
It goes on to say, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So, the end of chapter 3, Jesus is simply uh, baptizing and teaching, and all the action that's described in the text takes place with John the Baptist. But when Jesus hears that all of this is going on, he decides to go back to Galilee. But we find that what was going on is that they were both making and baptizing disciples. Notice that even as we find in Matthew, baptism designates a person as a disciple. And baptism of Jesus Christ designates one as a a disciple of Jesus Christ. To be baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's Uh, the baptism that Jesus instituted, and it marks one as his disciple. That's the beginning of your Christian life, right? And then you continue to be a disciple, to follow Jesus, to seek to walk in his steps, to listen to his words, to believe in him, to learn to observe his commandments. That's what it means to be, or that's what you ought to do as one who is baptized. You've begun to walk in this path. Baptism is a washing. It represents the washing away of sin by the blood of Christ, by his grace. The washing away of sins so that you're not condemned. And the consecration of that person to new life. That you're set apart. You're sanctified. You're made holy. Set apart to God. In fact, it seems to be here considered a kind of purification. We had learned back in chapter 2 how the Jews had various rites of purification. Remember what all those big barrels of, uh, or, or jars of water were for that were filled with water and Jesus turned them into wine? Those big, big jars were there for their various baptisms, for their various purifications. They would wash their hands to purify themselves. They'd wash things. Some of them were prescribed in the Bible. Some of them were added to the Bible. Um, and the... Pharisees did this. John's disciples uh, had some interest in purification as well. Certainly John was baptizing. And John's disciples and a Jew have some debate over purification, and it's somehow related to baptism, because they go then to speak to John about Jesus baptizing when they have a debate about purification. So they saw some link between the two. I like to say this is uh, maybe the first baptism debate, and they've been debating it ever since. Um, but uh, there was some discussion here and some connection of baptism and purification. Now, Jesus baptized. That's what it says in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he, that is Jesus, remained with them and was baptizing. Jesus was baptizing. But then look at chapter 4. Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. So was Jesus baptizing them? Yes, but through his disciples. His disciples were the ones actually applying the water to them, but it was considered Jesus's baptism, that they were becoming Jesus's disciples. And that's the way it works today, right? Did did Jesus uh, come to our worship service to, to baptize you? Well, not in person, not in the flesh, but, but he appointed his ministers to baptize you as his disciples. 
And that was the same when he was here in the flesh, uh, that he had his disciples baptize people as his disciples. And then at the end of his ministry, he sent them out to do that for all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Jesus baptizes by his ministers. Uh, the person of the minister is not that important. It's not important if it's, uh, if it's me or Pastor Servin or Pastor Cheatham or uh, which pastor, or even if it's a pastor that's not particularly faithful. But it's the, it's the fact that it's Christ uh, that you're being baptized into, that he is the one who authorized this. It's by his authority. That's what's important, his word. Now, there was this baptism going on, and John's disciples point out to John the Baptist that Jesus is attracting more people. Did you see that? That person that you were with, that you were pointing to, he's, he's over there, and more people are coming to him than are coming to you. Now, I, they seem to think this is a problem. Uh, they, they come to John and say, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Look, you got competition. You got to up your game. Someone else is drawing the crowds to them. He's baptizing too. That seems to be what his disciples were thinking, that this is a problem, or at least they had a question. Uh, what, is, what does this mean? Uh, can, you, can you talk about this? <clears throat> but then we have John's answer. And in verses 25 through 30, Was John jealous of Jesus? No, John was not jealous of Jesus. John was not competing with Jesus. In fact, he rejoiced to see people coming to Jesus. He had pointed his disciples to Jesus. Some of Jesus' disciples had gone to Jesus because John had said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. No, John was not jealous. He goes on to say that a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John the Baptist had a mission, and his mission was from God, from heaven. He had his own calling. He had his own task. And he said, you can bear witness. You know that I said, I am not the Christ, but rather I have been sent before him. That was his mission. That was John the Baptist's calling, not to be the Christ, but to prepare people for the Christ, to call them to repent, and then to go after him, to go after the Lord Jesus, to reveal him to Israel. And he was like the friend of the bridegroom. Think about a wedding. You remember being at a wedding? And you know how there's a a bridegroom, the man that's getting married to the bride? And he might have a friend who stands up there with him. Today we might call him the best man. And he is with the bridegroom, and he is very happy to see this going on. He wants to be supportive of the bridegroom, and he's happy to see the bridegroom happy. When the groom is happy, that is what the best man wants. The best man doesn't want to ruin the wedding. You know, he wants his friend to be happy, and he wants him to receive the bride. He's not there to receive the bride. His friend is there as the groom. And so John the Baptist is like the friend of the bride. He is happy to see the bride go to Jesus and not himself. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. 
Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. My joy is full. My joy is fulfilled. What I've longed for has happened. Why? Because I've heard the voice of the bridegroom. The bridegroom is Jesus. And the bride is his church, is the people that is coming to him. And this is happening now. John rejoiced to see people coming to Jesus Christ, just as the bridegroom's friend rejoices to see the groom receive the bride. The joy of the bridegroom is the joy of his friend. His friend rejoices with him. Remember in chapter 2, where there was a wedding feast? It's a time of joy. There was, there was wine, there was laughter, there was happiness because of that wedding. <clears throat> Jesus would say in Matthew 9, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Speaking of himself as the bridegroom and, and his disciples as the wedding guests? No. Uh, while he is with them, there is great joy and happiness. That's the kingdom of heaven, especially as we think of the way it shall be in the end, that Jesus will be with his people. There will be great joy. And the kingdom is portrayed as a wedding feast. All people are called to come to the wedding feast. Jesus is the bridegroom of that feast. And the one inviting people is the friend of the bridegroom, is preachers like John the Baptist. So John knew his place. He must increase, but I must decrease. How is Jesus increasing? Was he getting bigger? Not at this point. He was in his 30s. He wasn't growing much bigger. How was Jesus increasing? He was increasing by people coming to him. He was increasing by him becoming better known and respected and his word being received and believed by getting more disciples. That is how he was increasing in, in fame and glory. But John knew that he must decrease as one commentator says, it's as if John said, Jesus must increase in honor and dignity and reputation in the world. He is the rising sun to give you notice of which I was but the morning star. He must shine every day more and more. Now, when the sun begins to rise, first you might see the morning star. You know that sunrise is near, but when the sun comes out, do you see the stars anymore? No, you just see the sun. It's so bright. And so John the Baptist knew that he was there to announce the coming of Christ, but Christ was the thing which must increase and grow brighter and brighter. <clears throat> and John's words about Jesus being the bridegroom are similar to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. There Paul said to the church at Corinth, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. John, uh, Paul, in this case, saw himself as, again, the friend of the bridegroom, bringing the bride to the groom uh, to present the church to Christ as a pure virgin, completely devoted to him. And as he saw the church starting to go astray, going after someone else, you know, going after false teachers, he began to have a divine jealousy for them. He didn't want to see the bride go away from his friend or his Lord and wanted the church to be faithful to its husband, to Christ. So ministers of the gospel are called to bring people to Christ, not to themselves, to betroth the church to Christ, who is the bridegroom, to make disciples of Christ, 
who are walking in his commandments. I don't just get to make things up and get people to do what I want you to do, but rather to be a, a minister of him, that, that the people might be wholly devoted to Christ. So what should you learn from this? First of all, do not grow jealous of Jesus, but rather be jealous for Jesus. This is especially important for ministers like myself, you know, to draw the church to Christ, to the bridegroom, not to myself, not to usurp his place. That would be a dreadful betrayal. Can you imagine that? A a best man stealing the bride away from the bridegroom? That would be horrible. But rather, it sometimes happens in the church where preachers start to get proud and think more highly of themselves than they ought, or people start to think more highly of them than they ought, and begin to become more focused on the person than on Christ. Preachers are the friend of the bridegroom, must remember their place. But all Christians, whether they're a preacher or not, should imitate John's humility and the way he is witnessing to Christ. He, I am not the Christ, we can all say that, right? Can you say that? I am not the Christ. Yeah, I'm not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. So do not be jealous of Christ, but, but for him. Seek devotion to him and seek to encourage that in others. Rejoice at the voice of the bridegroom. Rejoice to see him receive all the attention and to receive his bride. Live your life to the glory of the Lord. All things being done to the glory of Christ. Are you the Christ? No, you're not the center of the world. You're not the savior of all. Uh, Remember your place. He must increase, I must decrease. Uh, Secondly, second application here, do not idolize men over Jesus. Do not be like, uh, do not be so concerned about this like John's disciples, but rather be excited to see people come to Christ, whoever brought them there. John's disciples were, they were pointed to Christ. John had pointed them to Christ. And here he instructs them not to be jealous of Christ. Their partisanship for John was reproved. No, I don't need you to defend me. I'm not in competition with Jesus. The Corinthian saints had a similar problem. In Corinth, some people said, I'm of, of Paul. Others says, well, I'm of of Cephas, you know, I'm, I'm following Peter. Well, I'm of Apollos. And they began to divide among each other, following their favorite preacher. And it began to divide the church. People today can also be divisively devoted to particular ministers or preachers or conference speakers or influencers or, and, and begin to do so in a divisive, competitive way. But as John taught, and as Paul taught, as Jesus taught, you must view all the the preachers as as servants and ministers pointing to one and the same Savior, all that are true, that is. And they are building on one foundation, one house. And it doesn't matter which one led you there. Uh, One might plant, one might water, but God gives the increase. And in fact, all of those preachers belong to everyone, common property. Uh, But rather, we ought to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, to rejoice at the voice of the bridegroom and to see him receive his bride, whoever is bringing the bride to him. The church is one bride, 
and it's devoted to one husband, and that is Christ. And he has appointed, certainly, pastors and teachers to edify, mature, gather, bring together his church, and that's good. We should pay attention to what he's instituted, but never lose sight of what the goal is uh, for us to be disciples of Jesus. Well, the passage goes on in verses 31 through 36, and uh, different translations will end the quotation mark in different places because there's no quotation mark in Greek. So uh, it's, it's a little unclear. Does John the Baptist keep talking, or does John the Apostle add to what John the Baptist said in explaining this? The same thing happened actually earlier in the chapter where uh, Jesus' conversation to Nicodemus might have ended and John add more reflection on that, or maybe John 3.16 and onward is, is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. It's a little unclear. Uh, but in any case, it doesn't matter a whole lot since it's all inspired by God, uh, by, written by the Apostle, um, faithfully bringing Christ's teaching. Here's verses 31 through 36. <clears throat> Go on to speak of how the Son, Jesus, is sent by God with life for sinners. John speaks of himself as the one who came from earth. Now, he was sent by God from on high, but he himself did not come from heaven. He came from earth. He spoke in an earthly way. He was a minister. He baptized with water. You know, he did the outside stuff. Uh, he had his, his mission, uh, but he was different than the one who came from above. The one who comes from above is Jesus. Uh, he is the word that was always with the Father. And he came from above and is above all. And he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. What had the Son seen and heard? He had seen and heard things in heaven. You know, he was, was God himself. And the words that he spoke were the words of God. And so the person who received Jesus' words said, God is true. Gave that seal to that testimony. He goes on to say why someone should receive Christ's teaching. <coughs> that, that God had given the Spirit without measure uh, to the Son, without any limit, without any measure, not just to portion out certain gifts and callings like he does to, to the church, but that in Christ the fullness of life and glory, the fullness of deity, all the uh, abundance of the Spirit's power rested and remained so that he would be the one, therefore, to baptize with the Holy Spirit. The one who believes on the Lord Jesus is the one who has life. (coughs) Whoever believes, in verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. The wrath of God, does it remain on that person? No, it does not remain on the person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. The person is justified by that faith in the Son and receives eternal life, is not condemned unto death, but justified unto life. Now the alternative, some believe in the Son, some disobey the Son. Now it's translated differently, disobey or not believe. It's the same Greek word, uh, which has the sense of rejecting, not complying, refusing. Um... The idea of disobeying the Son here is to disobey his call to believe, uh, to disobey the gospel by not responding with faith, but rejecting it. 
And those who reject it in this way, those who do not obey the Son, shall not see life. Just as they shall not, those who are not born again shall not see the kingdom. Uh, they shall not inherit the kingdom. They shall not partake of the life of the age to come. They shall inherit, as John says elsewhere, the second death. The wrath of God remains on that person. So they are condemned and condemned unto death. So what must one do? Believe the Son, that one may have life, life that never ends, life of the age to come, a life that comes from God. Do not reject the testimony of the one who comes from heaven, but believe in the Son. As a member of his bride, listen for the voice of the bridegroom and come to him. He utters the words of God. He has the Spirit without measure. He has the love of the Father from all eternity. If you be in Christ, then you, you share in that love. He loves you too. He has been given all things. It says that. Father has given all things into his hand. The administration of the world. For the sake of the salvation of sinners. Has been given into the Son's hands. He has been appointed as a mediator, a savior. And given absolute authority for this purpose. So whoever believes in him has eternal life. And the wrath of God does not remain on him. So therefore obey the gospel. Believe in the Son. So Jesus must increase. He must increase. That is to be your goal. To see him increase. To be your desire. To want him to increase. And to be your joy, to see him increase, uh, to rejoice like John did, to yearn for it. And the person who longs for it is the person who is going to rejoice to see it. Uh, and the person who longs for it is the person who, is, who sees that it's good, that Jesus deserves to increase, and that it's good for me to come to him as his disciple. He is the bridegroom. To him belongs the bride. In him is the treasure of all divine blessing and life. So may he increase. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for sending your son, for delivering all things into his hands, for equipping him, appointing him, calling him to this service for our salvation. We pray that you would indeed increase him, increase his numbers, increase his glory, not that his perfections can be added to, but that the whole earth would be filled with his glory, that he would be glorified in the church, that he would be glorified in the world, uh, that the gospel would be answered with repentance and faith. We pray that you would purify his bride, that it would be pure and chaste and, and devout, uh, devoted to to Christ. We pray that you would make each one of us in this way uh, devoted to him, believing upon him and following him as his disciple. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.